So Lord, we thank you as we come to your word. Even as Leanne has prayed, I just thank you, Lord, that we know that it's alive and active, Holy Spirit, that you're just moving and having your way here. Father, that you're just releasing your Father's heart to us as sons and daughters as we've heard. And Lord Jesus, through the victory that you won on our behalf, you are bringing us into victory and freedom. So I just thank you that you continue to uh, minister the Spirit of God, have your way, and that we walk out of this place with greater freedom than we walked in as you lead us in increasing glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so last week we were looking at uh, Philippians 4, and if you've got your Bible, you can turn there, Philippians 4. I'm just going to kick off and uh, jump back onto a couple points we looked at last week before I'm going to take us forward this week. And this week we're looking on what do we need to be focusing on, what thoughts are we needing to be taking a hold of so that those thoughts don't take hold of us. What does that look like? And so Philippians 4 verse 1, Paul in prison writes this encouragement. He says, dear friends, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Really what he's encouraging in is he's saying, uh, you don't, not in this stir up this epic brave heart sort of courage and bravery, but he's saying, no, in the everyday circumstances of life, stand firm in the Lord in this way, because sometimes how many of you know sometimes standing is warfare? Sometimes it's a faithfulness. Sometimes it's a steadfastness. Sometimes it's taking hold of what God has said and where he has called you and placed you. And just to stand against all of the adversity and the buffeting that the enemy brings, standing is warfare. And this is the encouragement that um, the Apostle Paul is giving us. There are some things we need to be standing in and upon in terms of the rock of who Jesus is. And Philippians 4 verse 6, we looked at that verse couple different angles. Be anxious for nothing. How's, how many of us were here last week? How's that been going with you? Be anxious for nothing. Yeah, the floors, that's wonderful. Because let me tell you how it's been going for me. Because oftentimes you hear that statement, the Lord prepares the man that prepares the message. So I thought, okay, I'm, I was armed going into last week with how to be anxious for nothing. But I've got my own quote that says, you have to live out the message the following week. And so I must admit, I've had a couple anxious moments, and it was only halfway through the week that I remembered what I'd preached about. I think it was Wednesday evening, I'd said something off the cuff to Leanne. That night, I thought, I'm going to go to bed early. I normally go to bed about 11, 30, 12. I like to read late. But, and Leanne normally goes to bed earlier. But this night, as I got positioned, it was 10. I thought, I'm going to go to bed early. I got comfortable. I had my pillow just like I like it. I was on the correct shoulder. Everything was perfect conditions for good sleep. But I noticed Leanne was lying on her back, and she hadn't fallen asleep yet. And as I'm about to, to fall into that beautiful sleep, I hear her say, George, you know that thing you said to me? It's caused my mind to race a little bit. Sorry, sweetie, you said you were sitting in the service, so I'm taking advantage. Caused my mind to race a little bit. And she said, don't just go to sleep, you need to talk to me for a bit. We started to talk about that thing that I'd said, and let me tell you, by the time we had finished, my mind was racing. Leanne had turned over and gone to sleep, and I was up for about another two hours. I was anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Irrational anxiety. The, the other thing we spoke about, the other angle, was be anxious. They play on words. Be anxious for no thing. Do you remember that encouragement? So many things I'm anxious about are just things. My little guy, Mitch, I'm still in the bed trying to recover from a, a long night. My little guy, Mitch, you know that story, runs in with my electric razor. And, um, he's, and, I, and Leanne says to me, he's got your razor. I said, Leanne, don't tell me. Just stop him. 
and then I hear it fall on the tiles. And little, little, he, he threw it on the tiles. <laughs> and little bits went flying everywhere. And halfway, my, my thought pattern was this. That was my Christmas present from a couple Christmases ago. And my thought pattern was this. What was coming out of my mouth, I'd actually said half the sentence. I don't actually care because I'm going to take this, this Christmas presents and I'm going to buy myself a new razor from all of you. I'm going to deduct the price. But as that was coming out of my mouth with a little bit of, um, with a little bit of force, I realized it's nothing but a thing. That statement that I'd said the week before and it caught me. That, that's what happened this week for me. And then the third thing, I'm anxious for nothing. So much of what we're anxious for never happens. Only 8% actually takes place, and only 4% of that is in our control. The rest of it is out of our, our control. And this week, I've, I've had some thoughts that have come to me. I've, I've been, I found myself in a place where I was anxious for things I couldn't control. What, is, what are these people thinking of me? What, what are people saying about me? And I started to get concerned with things that are out of my control. They started to weigh on me. I was like, Lord, but you know, they don't know my heart. And I'm hearing these things. And, and, and I suddenly realized I was getting caught up in things that I couldn't control about what people might say or think about me. And I wasn't getting caught up in how he sees me and what he's saying to me. And let me tell you, when you start to change your perspective, because he knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, when you start to change your perspective and get his perspective of, of you into mind, that starts to shift your thoughts. And then we finished off by saying a lot of the storms we face are of our own creation. And Jesus with the disciples, when the disciples were anxious, he looked out at the storm and he turned around and said, where's your faith? And he quietened their storm because sometimes the internal storm rages louder than the storm around us. Sometimes we got to stand up, follow Jesus's example in the stern of our own life, and we need to say to that storm, quiet, be still. So that's where we were last week. Philippians 4 verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says that we get to cast our anxieties onto him because he cares for us. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love that. He's writing that as he's imprisoned and being guarded. And then verse 8 says this, and finally, I'm going to tell you an old preacher's joke. You know what it means when a preacher says finally? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> finally, He's not wrapping up the letter, but he's wrapping up this part of the letter that's speaking about how we stand firm in God's purposes. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that because if we looked in verse, uh, verse 7 says, and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. But now it's shifted it, and it's saying the God of peace will be with you. It's wonderful to have the peace of God, but to have the God of peace. It's wonderful to have the resources he makes available to us, but it's even better to have the real deal him present and with us. There's something of a confidence that comes, a security that comes, and a peace that comes from knowing that he's with us. So in this, the first thing, the first point that I'm wanting us to take is this. We need to have focused faith. 
If you're taking notes, we need to have focused faith. Paul's listing these virtues. They're associated and related to who God is and his word. And, and he says this phrase, which in the English we say think about, but this is what it actually means. It says, make it your habit of thought. Saying, so think about these things. Make this your habit of thought around these areas. Form a habit of thinking these thoughts about God. How many habits are you forming? Because let me say, your habits of thinking create mindsets. They establish mindsets. Graham Cook's got this great quote. He said, our mindset, which is a habit of thought that's been established, our mindset is either a fortress for the enemy or it's a temple for the living God. A fortress is meant to keep things out. A temple invites the living God in. What mindsets have you established allowed to be established through habits of thinking that are either holding God and his purposes for you out and at arm's length, or are they throwing open the doors and inviting his presence and his purpose into our life? So we looked at that phrase, be anxious for no thing, last week. But here Paul is saying there are some things that you need to be, and we looked at that word, genuinely concerned about. There are some things that you need to be focused on. Because we cannot live a victorious life if we're not focused. You will not have a victorious life if you're not focused. Anxiety robs us of peace, but an unfocused life causes our faith to be weakened and it welcomes our fears. An unfocused life welcomes fears and weakens faith. And when we look at fear and faith, we often think they're opposites. But I want to say this, they are both a product of your focus. What are you focusing on? Because it's going to produce something. Is it producing fear or is it producing faith? If you're finding that you're in a place right now where you're being consumed by fear, I want to say to you, you're probably focusing on the wrong things. What are we focusing on that's causing us to live in that place? Are they in line with Paul? Paul says, here's some things you can think on. Here's some things you can focus on. Here's some things you can make into habits and, and mindsets. And he starts to list example after example and after example. He says, think on these things. Dwell on these things. Focus on these things. But so often we get pulled to this and to that and our thoughts run to and fro. And we start to get caught up with what we can't do, what we can't say, what we can't have. Have you experienced that? A little bit like Adam and Eve where they've got all the beautiful selection. They get told you can't have that tree and that's the tree I'm wanting to get to. How many of us here are dieters? How many of us here are failed dieters? Would be dieters, soon to be dieters because January is coming. I grew up in a household where we used to have on the fridge that little magnet thing, way less or whatever, where you got the little red block and you counted your points and you put the little block here and the little block there. And it, whenever I put a block, I saw the picture of what food item it was. I was hungry. I just wanted to eat that. I don't do well with measuring by points. I prefer the Atkins lifestyle or Banting lifestyle where I can, what can I eat unlimited amounts of? Tell me that. Biltong, burros, avocado. Cream, I'm probably doing it wrong, but that's the way I do it. <laughs> and Paul is saying this, I want to tell you some things that you can think of in an unlimited way. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and men, you should be looking and taking hold of your wives right now, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about Focus on such things because faith is a product of your focus. 
And here's a key for me that spoke to me. It's a statement that gripped me as I was preparing. We keep asking and waiting for God to increase our faith, but he's waiting for us to improve our focus. We keep asking and waiting for God to increase our faith, but he's waiting for us to improve our focus. And so that's the encouragement that's coming now from Paul as he's writing. He says, get these things into your sight. Get focused. Catch a glimpse of this. And really, it's the same picture we see when we look um, and we, we see kids at sports and, and, uh, and you're wanting to be a good coach. Up to a certain age, if a ball's involved, there's one simple rule. What's the rule? Keep your eye on the ball. And Paul is really encouraging. He says, we get caught, we get pulled, we get distracted. There's persecution, there's philosophies, there's ways of thinking, these questions that are coming. What I really want to tell you is keep your eyes on Jesus. It's like Peter when he's on the boat and he's focused on Jesus. He's been attentive to his words. He's able to step out in the moment because he's aware of his presence and he's on the water, but he gets distracted, focus disappears, not aware of presence. The storm becomes the reality. His attention is caught by the wrong things and he starts to sink. But when his focus was on Jesus, he was able to walk on the waters despite the buffeting of the wind. Where's your focus and where is my focus? We need focused faith. The second point is this. Hold that thought. If you look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, um, just even as we're looking at Philippians 4 verse 8, it says that we're in this battle. It says that we have weapons, but they're not worldly weapons. It says they're not visible, they're invisible. It says they're not carnal or fleshly, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down and the demolishing of strongholds. And then it goes into verse 5, and it says, this is how we use these weapons that we've been given. And if you've had thoughts that have been plaguing you, if you've had shame, if you've felt ridicule, if you've felt uh, regret, I want to say, here's a verse that you can take hold of, put into action, see your opponents taken care of, and walk in freedom. You need to take hold of this verse. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we demolish arguments. An argument is anything that contradicts what God is saying. We demolish arguments. When God says one thing about you and everything else is saying another thing about you, you demolish that argument. When you're in that place, when God has promised you one thing, but you're experiencing something else totally in your situation, your circumstance, or in your periphery vision, you demolish that argument. We start to demolish every argument that raises itself up and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That's the NIV version. There's a beautiful um, another way to look at this, and it really requires looking at the New King James or the New American Standard Bible, which are more accurate. I've got that up there. If we can just put that, it just changes it a bit. It says, casting down arguments and every hard thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Whose obedience? Christ's obedience. And what was Christ's obedience? Romans 5 verse 19 says, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. I take those thoughts captive and I take them to the place of the victory, the obedience of Christ, where he went to the cross and he paid paid a price for me to live in freedom. I get to take the accusation to the cross. I get to hear his statement. It is finished. And that's the truth I'm going to believe in that moment. That's what I'm focused on. Where are you taking captive your thoughts and where are you taking them to? As a believer, we're forgiven of every sin. 
Every negative thought, past, present, and future, not because of our obedience, because of his obedience, and we place our faith in that, we access the grace that's ours. So we need to hold that thought. There are thoughts we need to hold. What thoughts are you holding? The true thoughts. It says whatever is true. Because notice he doesn't say whatever is fact. Just because it's a fact doesn't mean it's true. Think about that for a moment. Just because it's a fact doesn't mean it's true. A negative mindset can state the facts, but it doesn't necessarily bring you into truth. So what we see happening is Joshua and Caleb, with the rest of the spies, going to look at a land which God has said he's going to give them, full of promise, full of milk, full of honey, full of abundance. He says, I'm going to give it to you. Go and check it out so you know what I'm giving. And then 10 of the the spies get a little bit, um, they're feeling a little bit intimidated. They're hearing the facts that are being presented. They're seeing the facts. There are giants. We are like grass hoppers. They're going to recognize we are like grasshoppers. We can never beat them. We cannot take it. You see, the facts were causing them to be in a place where they had no capacity or ability. But the difference is Joshua and Caleb were men of a different spirit, the spirit of God who gives us capacity and ability. And so they were able to look and see the promise of God. And if he said it, he will do it because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so they believed beyond the fact, the truth, that that could be theirs. Are we getting caught up with the facts that are being spoken to us or the truth? You know, the, the fact is that Jesus was killed. He was crucified. He was put in the grave. And he was dead. The truth is that he is the resurrection and the life. And he said, you can, you can break down this temple, but I'm going to raise it up again in three days. The truth always supersedes and exceeds and transcends the facts. Paul is in the midst of a prison cell. The fact is that he's chained. The fact is that he has guards all around him. The fact is that he's fearing for his life. But the fact is in the midst of that place, he's saying, the fact is saying you're a prisoner of Rome, but the truth he's saying, I'm a prisoner of hope. I've been taken hold of by hope. My thoughts are focused. They're fastened on hope. The God of all hope. Yes. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we demolish every argument and every pretension, that means whatever contradicts what God has spoken, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, or to the obedience of Christ, as the other versions are saying. So what's saying? It's saying they're, they're these tormenting thoughts, these, these terror, terrorizing thoughts, and what do we do? Because it can be a scary place when you're thinking, I'm just going to let those thoughts go. But sometimes you can let a thought go, but that thought doesn't let you go. You ever been there? And some of us have been taken hold of by a fear of failure. We're just so afraid. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to get through. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to be successful. And so it's caused us to be in this place where we're almost paralyzed that we cannot go forward because of this fear of failure. I love this statement. It was Steve Furtick that said it. He said, the opposite of success is not failure. It's such a key for me. This statement is holding me at this moment. The opposite of success is unfaithfulness. We'll see why in a moment. The opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is unfaithfulness. Because if you are faithful to God and what he called you to do, even what seems like failure can be leading you into victory. So when Jesus goes to the cross 
and he's been scorned, and he's been mocked, and he's been ridiculed, and he's crucified, and he's on the cross, and people are spitting on him. And they're saying, you could save everyone else. Cannot, can you not save yourself? It looks like a picture of failure to all that are looking, to the enemy. They think this man is a failure, but he's called out, and he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And in faithfulness, he's gone to the cross, to the place of disgrace and shame. And as he's hanging there, and as he goes through what he has to go through, what seems like failure, he's actually bringing about the greatest victory that this world and everything in of and can be spoken about as ever experienced. Because what seems like failure when you walk with faithfulness will bring you into fruitfulness. There's always that higher level of truth. And so this is what's taking place. And, and we, we have these fears. There's, as I've mentioned, the fear of failure that hold us back. There's the fear of commitment where we've seen broken commitments and we think, I'm never going to commit to anything. I'm never going to um, lean into anything. I'm, I'm going to pull back because I, I don't want to experience that again. And there are these real fears that hold us. And as we're reading in Philippians 4 verse 8, it's saying there's some good thoughts we need to take hold of that lead us into our future. But 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 saying these, these negative thoughts that will bring us into anxiety and fear. And there are these arguments and so we, what do we do in the midst of that? Every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Sometimes we're thinking, well, I've been told I need to let every thought go. As I've said, sometimes the thoughts don't let you go. Sometimes you let that thought go, and it's like a boomerang. You're going to hear it whirling. You're going to hear it coming back. You're going to feel a little bit nervous, like you've got a duck and dive. And when it hits you, you realize that thing's not a toy. That thing's a weapon. And so what do we do? We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We can't always control our thoughts, but we can control the thoughts that we hold. We can't always control our thoughts, but we can control the thoughts that we hold. What thoughts are you holding? Because the imagery he's using here where he says, take every thought captive, he's using the imagery of a prisoner of war. He's saying there's some thoughts that you need to take that are from the enemy, and you've got to treat them like a prisoner of war. Focus faith. You've got to hold that thought. And then the third point is this. Sometimes you've got to interrogate your thoughts. You've got to take them prisoner. Now, I feel a little bit qualified to speak on this because I am a Hawaii 5.0 fan. And I've watched enough of the series to have seen Steve McGarrett take hold of these terrorists, take them underground to this place, seat them on a chair, tie them up, and to interrogate the enemy. Sometimes our thoughts, we've got to interrogate. Sometimes there's a thought that comes in that looks a little bit suspicious. It doesn't line up with Philippians 4 verse 8 and what's said there. It doesn't match the criteria. And we've got to sit that thought down. We've got to realize that there are terrorist thoughts. Do you know that? They come to terrorize you. And you need to take that thought. You need to tell it, I'm not so impressed. You look suspicious. Take off your shoes. Take off your belts. Empty your pockets. I've experienced all of this. I'm wanting to do some screening here. It's like that Australian border control, you know. Uh, I'm going I'm to take, take authority in this moment. And sometimes we need to intimidate that which has come to intimidate us. Sometimes you've got to terrorize that thing that has come to terrorize us. Sometimes you've got to shift things. That which has come to tie me up, I'm taking captive. So we, we can do this. Why? Because we've got the authority to do it. Because I know this because I am a, a Western Louis L'Amour cowboy man at heart. 
I should have been in Dallas with you. When you see those bounty hunters, they rock up on whoever's committed the crime and they pull out that wanted sign and they say, I've got authority to take you in dead or alive. I'm authorized, deputized to blow you clean away. <laughs> That's a common song. It's Christian. Really, it is. Just came back to me in that moment. <laughs> Sometimes we've got to interrogate our fears. You need to ask the question, where did you come from? Because there's ploys and there's plots and there's strategy. We need to find out what is this thought doing here? And then we also have to ask, who sent you and why were you sent? Because Satan sends these thoughts. The reason he does it is to move you out of your purpose. And so sometimes when we start to get to that place where we are interrogating that thing which is intimidating us, we start to realize that that fear is actually holding us back from our very purpose. Got to interrogate. I just love that phrase. You've got to interrogate what's intimidating you. Sometimes it's your, in- this is a Graham Cook one, it's your intimacy, uh, Richie, Rich, sorry, I called you Richie in front of everyone, Richard, apologize. Richard preached on this and he said, um, it's our, our intimacy that intimidates the enemy. It's when we're focusing on those, the, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is um, admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, when we, we, we've got that intimacy of that place, it becomes intimidating to the enemy. It's just a, it's just a beautiful thought to have. And so we, we realize we've got to, I don't even know where I was going there. We've, we've got to, <laughs> that his attack against you is sometimes revealing God's assignment for you. I know this because my, in my life, my greatest fear is public speaking. I remember growing up, it's the last thing I wanted to do. I'd hide, I'd feign sickness, I'd do whatever. I knew from the age of three that I was called to be in ministry. But it was such a private, such a treasure thought, I wouldn't share it with anyone else. They'd ask me what I wanted to be. I want to be a doctor. I want to be in a, anything that made money. But in my, I would quote those, because then I knew people would accept it. But in my heart, I wanted to be in ministry. And yet my greatest fear was public speaking. You know, that American stat says the greatest, number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. People would rather die than speak in public. That was a, a little bit like me, you know, because when, when that fear takes hold of you, when that anxiety grips you, when that panic has got you, you start to feel sick. You start to think, I need to get out of this place. So much so that Kerry Southey, a wonderful prophetic influence in my life, said over me one prophetic word. She said, do not be afraid of their faces because I've called you. How many of you know some of your faces? <laughs> I won't finish that thought. If I don't look at you while I'm preaching, there could be a reason. <laughs> But he attacks you in your purpose. So we interrogate our fears. And sometimes the attack shows the assignment. And then the fourth point I want us just to see is to have and to hold. It's a beautiful marriage statement. You know, some things we've got to marry to. And Joshua 1, God tells him he's taking the Israelites into the promised land because he's never believed the fact. He's always been a man of the promise. And so he's taking the people into the promised land, and God says to them, be strong and courageous, and I'm going to be with you. Meditate on my word day and night. And God says, be strong and courageous, but courage takes strength. 
And you know what? Sometimes we don't have strength because we're so exhausted. Because our thoughts are running here, there, and everywhere. And what we're thinking about and focusing on and the thought we're taking hold of, or that might be taking hold of us, is either giving us a vitality and a robustness to our strength and our energy in God, or it's removing it. And that's affecting your courage, and it's affecting my courage. And so God tells the Israelites, meditate on my word day and night. Because either we're going to be meditating on misery, or we're going to be meditating on the victory that is ours ours in Christ Jesus and the promises he has for us. And here's the thing. If you are wanting God's promises, if you're wanting to have God's promises, you've got to take hold of those things that he has promised, focused on that, to have and to hold. If you want to have them, you have to hold them. And I want to model this for us. Sweetie, would you uh, hold Eva? I'm not going to pick on you at this moment. Can I do that? Do you think that she'd allow you to hold it? I think she might. Oh, that's not part of my illustration. That's just to bless my wife's heart. You can sit down with her, thank you. My illustration is this amazing couple. Can you both come and stand here? I'm not going to get you to act out or do anything strange. Now, now Katia... I want you to be Philippians 4 verse 8. I want you to be whatever is true. You don't have to strive it up. Be that. you. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, that's what you're representing. Now, Julian, I want you to take hold of your wife. Yeah, you can face each other. Yeah, you see, just to take hold. Nothing more than that. (laughs) But hold each other, double arms, you can... And now, Jason, won't you run up here, Jason? So, Katia is whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. It's easy to picture. This one's also going to be easy to picture. Jason's going to be 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Whatever is pretentious. (laughs) Argumentative. Now, Julian is holding Katia. Why would he stop holding this to take hold of that? Here's the picture. Why would you do that? If Jason tries to sneak up and take hold of Julian in this, in this moment, what's Julian going to do? He's going to take him as a prisoner of war and, and do all sorts of things. Thank you, guys. That was, a, that, was a, that was my example. Focus faith. Hold that thought. Interrogate your fears. The promises to, to have by taking hold of. Th- that is my message. It's just an encouragement. It's got some practicality. I'm aware that some of these things are um, emotional. Some of these things are just things that we're thinking. Some of these things are demonic attack. I think I've experienced a bit of each. But I know that it's God who's brought me into freedom through all of them. And so we're wanting to be in faith with you. If you're needing prayer, we're wanting to pray for you. I've literally had that anxiety, two weeks of it, can't sleep, up all hours, pacing, knees sore, thinking, I don't have a future. And God's removed it. And one prayer. And I, I want to tell you this, I knew he would. But I wasn't wanting to get prayed for. But sometimes mamas don't listen. And my mom said to me, George, there's something wrong. There's something over you. I'm going to pray for you. She did. It broke instantly. We're wanting to be in faith. We're going to believe and we're going to pray for those who are needing prayer. But we can just receive um, just as the Holy Spirit leads us right now. Let me pray. So, Lord, we want to change our perspective and our focus and to be focused on you. 
We thank you that we can take every thought captive that has been trying to take us captive and we can bring it to the obedience of Christ. The victory that you won, your shed blood that speaks a better word on our behalf than any other word that might be being spoken. The place where you triumphed over the enemy and made a spectacle of him and where you started to call us into the identity you've called us to live in, where your word says that who you set free is free indeed. And knowing that Holy Spirit that you have come and we've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind, not a spirit of timidity that we might be intimidated, but Lord, rather you have said that we are those that advance your kingdom and that we are the ones that intimidate the enemy. And so I thank you, Spirit of God, that you come and that you just shift mindsets right now in Jesus' name. I just speak your blood to speak a better word to us and on our behalf in terms of each of us here to cover us. And I thank you, Lord, that we can receive you, not the enemy who comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but we receive you who comes to give us life and life in abundance. And I thank you that you change mindsets where we felt hold down to realize that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us, not in our own capacity and ability, but by your grace, you take us into the empowerment of your grace, ability, and capacity. And so I thank you, Lord, that you send us out as free people proclaiming freedom wherever we go. And I thank you that your perfect love just be poured out right now and that it drives out fear and that your truth sets us into freedom. Come and do it supernaturally, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.